Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Between the latest earnings, debt ceiling talks, and inflation concerns, May was a choppy month for North American equities. With the Bank of Canada set to make another rate decision, where can investors find solace in this fast-moving market environment? And how is today's guest positioning his fund amid the latest market hurdles? Darren Lekakirker, Portfolio Manager of Fidelity North American Equity Class, breaks down his investing method and shares where to consider your next position in North America. Darren also runs the equities sub-portfolio of Fidelity Canadian Balanced Fund and co-manages Fidelity Global Natural Resources Fund. Today, he shares with host Pamela Ritchie that his North American equity fund currently sits at 70% U.S. and 30% Canadian companies, with a continued focus on high-quality companies. The fund is roughly 25% invested in technology, and Darren notes that AI is extremely relevant, currently being looked at as a mega-theme. Darren touches on the most recent earnings season, transportation and railroads, housing, and of course, natural resources. The energy transition is another mega-theme being watched, as well as how China's reopening affects materials. This podcast was recorded on May 29th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Let's dig right into some of the topics that we've been waiting actually to ask you ultimately Let's go. about the North American scene. So can we begin with Canada versus the U.S.? The U.S. has had tons of earnings for a long, long time. It's a decades old story. Is it time to tilt more towards Canada for any reason? Right. So I get that question a lot. And one of the things that I say, which may, may be a less satisfying answer, is I think North America is the place to be. I love investing in North America. The reason being one, it's very resilient. Like think about last year, how it performed from a food um, and energy perspective. North America is independent. Two, as a center of innovation, how many like you know innovative like giant tech companies can you think of in North America versus Europe? There are a few in China, and part of it is like you have the university system in Canada and the U.S. You have the the you know Wall Street and Silicon Valley venture capitalists to finance it. Um, three, I think that there's a lot of high quality companies. Four, they return more cash. And five, in terms of the politics, although there there is a divide, like if people aren't. Um, it's not like a, a violent shooting, a war, and the and the you know potential that's low. So I think there's a, a lot of great companies to choose from. The fund, uh, the Fidelity North American Equity Fund, is 70% U.S. and 30% Canada over time. It's pretty close to that um, today and. Really what I'm trying to do is find the best companies on both sides of the border to invest in. We've spoken about this before, but you come actually years ago now, but sort of in the private equity side of things, investing in companies that ultimately you own, essentially. Um, Just talk a little bit about that right now. It's an interesting moment for sort of the stock picking discussion, it seems, rather than just looking more broadly at sectors. Uh, We have huge cost of capitals that didn't used to be there a year ago. What's it like right now going in and owning companies? 
Yeah. So you're right. It's we went from like zero rates forever to a more normalized rate environment. And I think as an investor, I mean, while that transition is painful because basically everything went down, I think I'd rather um, be buying companies that are that are cheaper and have higher forward rates of return um, than more expensive companies. So I think it's actually a, a good thing. It's a good thing for for people that still have a number of years left in their um, investing. Uh, duration, right? In terms of their like timeline, uh, and for me, I, I my style is investing in high quality companies. So I think to me, like a lot of these companies versus um, sort of December of 2021, they seem like they're they're on sale and there's opportunities there. Talk about quality right now because um, it's broadly people would say probably it's expensive, right? But there's a lot more to it right now. We've seen certain larger companies obviously pull ahead because they are the ones that can. It seemingly can handle a higher cost of capital, for instance. Has has the discussion of quality changed because we're in a different interest rate environment? I, I don't think so. So I think just one, like let me just define what I consider a high quality company. So qualitatively, I would consider it to be a great business. What's a great business? I love to invest in a monopoly type of business, right? So um, is this business have do they have a strong market position? Are they number one or number two in their industry? Are they in a large market? Are they uh, is the market growing? Do they have pricing power? Uh, is it hopefully it's it's less cyclical? Uh, it's not capital intensive uh, and can ultimately um, grow its free cash flow per share over t- over time because that's really what drives stock prices over the long term and that's something I pay a lot of attention to. Uh, the financial metric I would use to define quality would be having a high um, return on invested capital for a sustained period of time. Um, so that's what I'm looking for. What, what do you think ultimately of, of what we've seen in terms of style shifts and so on? I mean, you've stuck with quality, but last year obviously was an interesting year to discuss the sort of value style. Growth style has been an interesting, an interesting role to play over the last several months. And the tech story has been pretty wild, actually, just over yeah. since the beginning of the year. Yeah, no, you're right. And for the North American Equity Fund, roughly 25% um, is invested in technology. Um, and uh, I have, you know, I had, uh, you know, allocations. And I think in the last webcast, I talked about my top ten positions in Microsoft and Constellation software. Yeah. Uh, but I also talked about adding to technology, given that tech stocks were down a lot from their prior peaks, uh, and meanwhile the fundamentals were starting to improve. And now I think we're getting closer to seeing those fundamentals starting to inflect upwards. And mm-hmm. on the revenue line, some of the companies are already reflecting upwards. Other companies are starting to get closer to the trough and we're seeing the second derivative turn positive. Uh, on the cost line, there's been a huge change in terms of both operating expenses as well as capital expenses. Uh, and so in terms of OPEX, like they have become more efficient. They, I think these companies overhired in a very expensive market in the, in the several years leading up to 2022. And I think uh, you know we, we talked to some of these companies post quarter, and they said, "Hey, the market's really different now. It's easier to find talent. Um, the price is less." And so they're taking advantage of that. And I think some of that will revert to us as shareholders. And in terms of the the capex, they're also reducing the the real estate infrastructure. They're continuing to invest in compute, which is which is pretty necessary. So we we have seen um, lower prices and an improvement in fundamentals and and strong earnings in this past uh, Q1. How many of those companies that you're sort of broadly talking about are, are making sure that they are engaged in AI, if not yeah. actually pumping it out to everyone else? Yeah, I should have mentioned, obviously, AI, artificial intelligence, which I think is like a mega theme, right? And so when I say a mega theme, think of like 
uh, the industrialization and urbanization of China in the 2000s or in the 90s, the, the internet, right? And so I think it's a mega theme. Um, and so uh, I think Microsoft uh, said on their call that every uh, chief technology officer of every type of organization is at the forefront of what they're looking at, thinking about. Uh, so it's, it's super relevant. I think that um, th there'll be a big investment uh, in this area going forward. And every company's talking about it, like what does it mean on the revenue line, like, can we gain in revenue here? What does it mean for our cost line? Can we save in costs? Uh, and also, like, as investors, we need to think about what does it mean for your investment? Like, is it going to hurt us in terms of free cash flow? And are there other businesses that may be disrupted and, and lose from artificial intelligence? Do, do you feel like um, almost every company can benefit from it? No, I don't. I don't think so. But I, I do think that broadly, I think it will benefit the economy in, in terms of of uh, better uh, productivity, uh, which should result in higher margins and uh, accrue to us as shareholders. Tell us more about, you mentioned the the China reopening a little bit. Well, actually you're talking about more sort of the shift um, in China decades ago, but um, China has reopened. We know this, it affects, for instance, the natural resources story, I think. How much, how much does it affect actually the natural resources story? Yeah, like a lot, right? right? And just because if you, particularly, so we think of natural resources, we think about materials and energy. So within mater materials, it's more mining and metals. That's where you see the biggest impact because on a lot of these commodities like copper or iron ore, China consumes more than 50% of the world's um, uh, metal. And so it's super important. And so last year we saw very weak GDP growth in China because the country was effectively closed. For COVID, now we've seen a reopen. We saw a really, really strong sort of like first quarter of the year, and we started to see it slow down a little yeah. here. So there's some nervousness about what happens now with the trend. Do we do we see it pick back up, or is it going to slow down here? But I think generally it's it is a good thing for commodities and commodity demand. We are seeing very tight supply um, on both. Uh, I, I would say that I'm more uh, bullish on the materials and on the energy because in, of the China reopening. And I also think that on the mining and materials, you're seeing tighter supply, whereas on the energy side, um, I'm not bearish on energy, but you are seeing OPEC restrict supplies, which is bullish for the short term. But it does tell you that there's growing spare capacity there. It's interesting within the energy story, obviously, the sort of transition companies, the names that are making sure that they're part of a transition to, to lower carbon um, emissions in terms of the energy. What do you like in there? Are there areas of that that are of particular interest? We're hitting on all these mega themes today. Yeah. Energy, energy transition, which I think is another mega theme, which is transitioning the economy to a lower uh, carbon-based economy, which just means electric vehicles and, and renewable powers. I think the prime beneficiaries are is copper. Um, uh, I think there's also some smaller metals like lithium, but it's harder to invest there. But in terms of copper, like the, it's really tight in terms of the amount of supply that we have in the world. There's very little in terms of new mines coming on over the next five to 10 years. And you can really see demand is gonna grow almost like a, a hockey stick, not hmm. quite, but it will grow quite a bit uh, from here. So I think it bodes really well for copper, but other metals too, like aluminum can be substituted in some cases for copper. So I think it's really good for mining and, and metals, the energy transition. And and to what extent ultimately does Canada, the North America, I mean, you, you manage different funds, so you're looking at it from different perspectives, but does, does that play into your strategy for the North American side of things? Yeah, it, it certainly does. And I think that, um, so I do own copper um, in, the, in the fund, 
Uh, and for me, I would say that it's not a huge position today, but it's something that I look at building at the right time because it's very cyclical right. um, and the economy is slowing down a little bit. Um, to building it at a, into a large position at the right time to take advantage of this. Mm -hmm. When we spoke last, which is, a, I don't know how many months ago it was, but the discussion of transportation, uh, this is the rails, obviously, this is actually kind of a shifting transportation story uh, coming out of COVID. We know the supply line story, it's a long, it's a long drawn out one, but is it interesting to look at transport still for you? Is that still an area of interest? Yeah, I've really liked the rail stocks and I've been a long-term investor. Uh, Canadian Pacific has been in my top 10 since 2011. It's been a really good stock over that time. And so I mentioned before when I said I like high quality businesses, I said I like monopoly type right. of businesses. I think this <laughs> is, is one. one of those types of businesses, right? Where it's almost like a utility um, in that in certain parts of their business, they are a monopoly. And so I think, you know, this has like, it is, it is cyclical and it is capital intensive, but it has very high rates of return. It has pricing power. Um, and so these have been great uh, investments. I think the Canadian rails in particular over the US rails have advantages, network advantages in terms of like longer length of haul. Uh, and also they haven't had a big burden by having been exposed to thermal coal for power, which is kind of slowly going to zero for the, the US rail. So I think the Canadian ones are well positioned. And also one of the Canadian rails has just made a large um, acquisition, which they should see a lot of both revenue and cost synergies from. So that could, um, should, it should accelerate uh, earnings growth. So I do think that here in the shorter term, there have been some uh, headwinds from a slower economy, right? And we've seen industrial production be negative in North America. Uh, and also um, like you've seen like a, you've seen that in, in negative freight volumes. And you, you hear when you talk about the consumer and you talk about retail, about retailers having too much inventory and retailer destocking, well, you see it in the negative freight bonds. But I think over the long term, these are, these are great um, businesses to own. They're monopoly types. And I think Amazing. that each of them, each of the Canadian ones, has idiosyncratic earnings drivers that should benefit them. How have they dealt with sort of the wages story? Well, a lot of the a lot of the labor is unionized, um, and so I think for some of them, some of the rails and some of the unions, the contracts have come up. They've had to pay more, but they've been better uh, managed than other businesses in the economy because it's been unionized, and so they've had like longer duration employment contracts. Very interesting. Um, so earnings season came to a close in the US a little while ago. We've seen banks recently in Canada certainly wrap up. There is that theme of a general slowdown in the loan growth story, um, the provisions for, for credit losses and so on, that, that comes into it. Can you comment on that and sort of the Canadian U.S. context of the banking sector? It's also been a crisis unfolding in the U.S. What do, what do you think of banking stocks? Yeah, sure. So in the North American Equity Fund, I have zero exposure to Canadian banks, and I've had zero exposure to um, the affected U.S. regional banks in the crisis. There, there are some larger um, U.S. banks there. But I'd say that overall, so we've just come through Canadian bank reporting season, and I think that overall the, the stocks have traded down and the results have kind of missed Bay Street expectations and they've been lower um, versus a year ago's sort of revenue and profit levels. And you know why is that? Well, we're seeing uh, on the net interest margin line, we're seeing lower sort of than prior quarter because depositors, like rather than getting zero or 1%, you could put your money in a, a money market fund and get something higher or or the stock market, right? Look, yep. at, look at what the stock, yeah. stock market's done. 
Uh, and so you're, you're seeing that impact the, uh, the cost of borrowing for these banks. So lower net interest margins, higher credit provisions. I think credit was just pristine um, at, a, at a time during the pandemic when you know, there, there was a lot of like sort of government programs to give everyone sort of free money. Um, and uh, you're seeing the economy slow a bit and, and impact some, some businesses and people there as well. So higher credit provisions and higher expenses, right? Like inflation, they hired, I think they hired probably too many people and I think they, uh, at a higher cost as well. So- What about the housing story in there? Yeah, and so I think, I think in terms of housing, like it's, it's, you haven't seen like big sort of defaults there, no. but I think um, on balance, like it's a bit of a negative and I think credit should normalize over time. So generally, like just to simplify it, think of banks as like a leverage play in the economy and if the economy is slowing um, here and they're not sort of at a, at a cheap enough level where I'm willing to just buy and say, I don't, I don't care, I'll just wait through it yet. So for, for me, it's not a, hasn't been a big exposure in the North American equity fund and it's been more of a, a source of funds and you mentioned the March crisis, right? And so yeah. those were those were sort of very volatile days. And I try to use volatility to my advantage. Uh, and so one of the things that I did do in the funds was other um, financial subsectors were trading down a lot as well that had no exposure. And so one of those subsectors, for example, was the insurance brokerage business, which is a really high quality business, had nothing to do, to do with this. And so these companies went on sale and I was able to add to positions of a company that I already own there. And this is, the fundamentals are great, right? Like it's just think about, it's the, the companies that helps businesses get their commercial insurance. And so premiums right. are higher, so their revenue line is up. Um, and they also have, they generate a lot of cash flow and they're able to actually deploy that by buying other sort of regional um, insurance brokerage business, very high return on capital business model. You always make sure that you're in conversation with, with CEOs um, broadly, probably for the companies that you own, but also, but also more broadly, if you could pull out a couple of themes that you found particularly interesting in what management is saying right now, whatever are the interest rates and you know fears of a recession, or is there yeah. something else? Yeah, so I would say some of the bigger themes were macro, AI, and margins. Uh, let me get into it on AI. Like it's kind of everything that I said when we talked about AI earlier. Okay. Like, like how does it impact the business model, the revenue, the the, the cost line, what's the investment going to be? And some companies are more in the offensive and other companies are more in the defensive. I think on the macro, um, I think most what most companies said is like, we're, we're cautious or a little nervous and maybe we're cutting some expenses, but we haven't seen anything in demand just yet. I think that's okay, what the, that's good the average company said. And I think on margins, you have seen margins on balance come a bit lower, but it's kind of returned on balance overall to what like pre-pandemic levels were. So right. I think for earnings going forward, that's a good thing. Interesting. Um, tell us a bit, so if you, if you went back in time a year ago, I mean, the world in terms of finance was very different a year ago. Um, what in your positioning ultimately has, has shifted, has changed over the last several months, a year ago type thing? Right, from a sector perspective? Yeah. So I would say that, um, I would say that, uh, and I have more US um, versus Canada yeah. than I would have a year ago. Uh, and I'd say that a lot of that did go into technology. So the technology and communications part of the fund um, has gone up. And I, for some of the, mention, the reasons I mentioned earlier, right? Like lower share prices, lower valuations and positively inflecting fundamentals on the revenue and cost side. Uh, and then I'd also say healthcare actually has gone up. One of the yeah. uh, interesting areas 
there is uh, is med tech companies. And so think about totally. companies um, that make like the hips Hospital and knees, beds. right? Like my oh, mom actually okay. had hips a hip uh, replacement oh. a year ago. Uh, or companies that make uh, cardiovascular, like this, the stent or the pacemaker. Uh, and so these companies under-earn. You know why? Because procedure volume was lower. People were afraid yeah. to go into hospital or the doctor wasn't there to do the procedure. Uh, and then pricing was kind of static. And so costs went up. And so they got hurt in margins. And you know procedures are starting to recover now. Um, and they're able to recover those uh, higher costs through higher prices. So you're seeing profits recover there. And also, this is a good subsector within healthcare because a year from now, we'll be in the presidential sector. And that bears with it some risk, right, in terms of for uh, medical insurance or uh, or pharma in terms of like drug prices. So this is a good sort of sector and that's insulated from that. Yeah, it's a, it's a good insulated one. So um, interesting always to to get your thoughts on if we, if we dip into the the worry in markets for a minute, What what is kind of the sleep at night side of the portfolio that you run. They just want investors to know there's always something to worry about, isn't there? Yeah. There always is. Certainly. Yeah. Um, but it also brings the opportunity, right? The market climbs a, a wall of worry higher, right? And so, um, you know, I like to think about this quip of uh, Warren Buffett where he said, like, you should buy companies whereby if the stock market closed for like 10 years, you, w- you wouldn't worry. So like, you're talking about sleep at night and that maybe this is a right. little bit longer, like 10 years. But look, we talked about railways. The business model hasn't changed in a hundred years, right? Right. Like, right. like essentially, you're you're moving freight from one place to another. You, you own I got that, some new cars on that, the rails, but yeah. you own that land. Yeah, exactly. But and it's so still, it's a, hmm. it's a great type of monopoly business. You're not worried about technology um, disruption. I think it's a pretty good sleep at night business. We didn't talk about um, waste management. Waste management during inflation, they're able to increase their their prices, and during a recession, the, vol- the volumes are still there, right? And so these businesses have been free cash flow uh, compounding machines, which is what I mentioned that I, I like to look for. And that's another area. Dollar source is pretty, right. uh, has been a pretty resilient business model. And it's been something that's pretty big in the fund. Also, you know, re- maybe maybe this one's less apparent, restaurants. And you also have said, you asked- They're so, so I, expensive, I did meet, but yeah, I still I pay meet, the bill. Yeah, I did meet with the CEO of a major North American restaurants company this week and so it's topical on my mind but if you look back it's not only this company a lot of like quick service restaurant chains they've done really really well over the past like one year five years ten years it's been a good place to invest and you know why is that it's because demand is like pretty strong and it's not that cyclical because there's what there's a trade down mm-hmm. like maybe you go yeah from tell us about that like the I mean, mid that's... the mid-service casual restaurant to like the quick service yeah during the recession not every day but once in a while and so demand is actually pretty resilient they're not capital intensive because it's if it's a franchise or business it's the franchisee that pays for the physical capital and you're able to grow your business without adding capital they're pretty high margins because you're collecting royalties right Right. and so um good Good growth, not cyclical, very good businesses, good return. Seems like there's a lot of doom and gloom still about, you know, that sort of consumer type business. Um, does that does that help with finding opportunities? Actually, sort of goes to that. There's always something to worry about, but markets climb a wall of worry. Yeah, I think that's 100 percent right. I think in in this case, they actually maybe benefit a little bit from it because there is some trade down, um, and the dollar stores would also kind of benefit from that as well. Um, but I think there are some other areas within consumer 
um, retail or consumer brands where I either I own stuff or I'm looking, whereby mm -hmm. it's already pricing in a recession and I really like the company. And so it's, you know, you're looking for that like baby that's thrown out with the bathwater. Right. Okay. Well, speaking just on that broadly, the theme of, of consolidation and be it, you know, in a number of different sectors, there's, there's a lot of actually in the natural resources sort of sector broadly, we're, we're hearing bits and pieces of this. This is presumably the cost of capital story playing out yeah. and the big players, um, you know, taking advantage where they can. Is, is consolidation something that the companies that you're invested in, you know, benefit from? Yeah, so we have seen that happen in the resource sector, and I expect we will see more of that. And what's happening is, is that the small cap and the mid cap companies have just not been relevant to uh, most investors. And it's a very capital intensive industry. It costs a lot of money to build a new project. So they need to have that um, dedicated shareholder base in order to grow. And so I think that's one of the things that's driving um, consolidation. Um, yes, uh, one of the major companies I've owned has has benefited from that and and uh, so I think that's good and and generally like I would prefer to be on the on the target end as opposed to the acquirer end because sometimes right. there's limited sort of cost synergies or benefits by combining two of these companies so do you see I mean okay that's really interesting yeah because you want to be the one where the stock price goes wild <laughs> in these moments okay I'm gonna embarrass you now um, just interesting that um, that your fund, particularly in 2022, Lipper Award winner over three and five years. Um, congratulations. Thank you very much. First of all. Um, but second of all, do you think this kind of goes back to ultimately a bit of a sleep at night, longer term view that um, investors who are worried about the markets right now could, could maybe use a dose of? I think so because I, I need to sleep at night and I'm the largest shareholder in the fund. Right. <laughs> so, so I hope so from my own from my own perspective. Um, but I mean, look, that's that's the goal. That's yeah. the goal of the fund to find high quality companies that concentrate my investments in them uh, and over time have these companies kind of outperform and on growing their free cash flow per share and having their share prices um, you know, keep pace going up with that. Darren Lecker-Cooker, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Really happy to be here. Great to see you again. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. You can visit fidelity.ca for more information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter. Thanks again. See you next time.